slowly but surely. Uh, Inevitably, of course, I'm going to get a letter from a friendly type who's going to say, Dear Mr. Shepard, will you please speak up a little louder? We're not hearing you well in Staten Island. Now, look. The master plan is slowly being unfolded to me, and I figure within the next four or five weeks, I might be right down to the veritable core of it. Now, I, I can't explain it to you any more than just to say that. The master plan. I mean, you know the master plan? That, that the Gordian knot of life? The strange, convoluted puzzle of existence? Eh? The twisting, labyrinthian river of eternity? Well, it's beginning to make sense. It's beginning to slowly unfold. And, and uh, not more than 15 minutes ago, I had one of those, those, those startling moments of clarity and lucidity that come to men maybe four or five times in a lifetime. Now, this, this, this problem of the, the moment of lucidity is one that has been bugging people for many years. Have you ever had this sensation, uh, all kidding aside, this, this sensation of walking down the street? It might come any moment. It might come five minutes before you go to bed. You're brushing your teeth. You're mad. It might come just before you're getting ready to eat a salami sandwich or down an egg cream. And, uh, by the way, I was in a very swank restaurant the other day. One of the kind, you know, that has the, the cordovan leather booths, sort of semicircular cordovan leather booths, and it has these, these waiters who move back and forth with black suits and black looks, carry great big maroon-colored menus with them, and sort of lurk in the darkness, and there's quiet music being played somewhere. And, people, and the guy in the next booth says, I'll have an egg cream, please. <laughs> oh, gee. You know, in, in spite, I'll have an egg cream. I'll have an, that's like my mother came all the way out. I'll never forget the time I took her to this fancy restaurant. She came all the way out from the Midwest. You know what it's like in the Midwest, any of you? Have any of you ever sat down to a, to a meal in the Midwest, in a Midwestern restaurant? Well, here I figured that she had come out of the desert. I was in the East, the fate East. The, the, the East of golden promise. What was it that Thomas Wolfe used to call Manhattan? The enfabled rock. And I was here. I mean, we're all here. You realize how, how, how fortunate we are. We are the fortunate few. I mean, out of the billions of people who live all over the world, you realize how lucky we are. We're here. You're you. <laughs> you just think who you could have been. Oh, boy, you break out in a cold sweat when you realize who you are, how lucky you are to be so, you know, so real and right. You know, I mean, oh, come on, let's cut out all the fooling around. Let's admit it. Let's cut the kidding out, huh? Let's cut out all this jazz, all this editorializing, and let's admit it. Here we are, we're us, and by George, we're sure. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And anyway, my mother, living out there in the great inverted bowl of the Midwest, was still in the center of the the veritable storm eye of the the desert itself, right out there in the Midwest. I, I guess you don't know what it's like. But sometimes out in the Midwest, night goes on for over four months. And all you can hear is the sound of the natives chewing. And once in a while, lowing to one another as they bump on the street corners. And then they move apart and search, search. It's the eternal quest, of course. Oh, by the way, how are you doing in your quest? I mean, you know, the search. Well, uh, this this day came to pass when there had been an exchange of letters and it had been decided that my mother was going to come out and visit me in the enfabled East. 
and there were all the preparations were made. A stock of wedgies was laid in, a stock of sequent tinseled lady gowns were, were purchased and were altered to fit the particular type of tinseled lady that my mother is. All things were done so that, the, so that it would be right and real. And finally she arrived. And the first day I took her to this, this restaurant. As a matter of fact, it happened to be an Indian restaurant. <laughs> you know, well, I'm thinking, what, what is it that she, she, she will like more than anything else? The, more, the, the least like the Midwest. I took her to this Indian restaurant. Now, I don't particularly dig Indian food. Uh, on the other hand, you know, it's, it's Indian food. There's something about Americans, by the way, that make them just insatiably curious about other people's food. Insatiably curious. And vaguely, uh, they feel vaguely inferior to it. You know, there's hardly any place you can go in Europe where they have uh, little American restaurants. Just a little American restaurant where you get a bad hamburger. A genuinely bad hamburger. I mean, bad in the American way. Uh, just don't, you don't find them there. There are a few places in Rome. As a matter of fact, you know, there's a rash of places opening up here and there, like, say, for example, in Brussels and Paris and in Rome, called the Californian. But they, they're not at all like, they're not the Californians like here. They just call them the Californian. Somehow California seems to be definitely American to the Europeans. There's no place called the Indianan or the Hoosier. Just the Californian. And you go in there, and it's it's strange. It's, uh, it's not American, and it's not Italian. It's just blah. It's not Californian, certainly. And so... There is this thing in Americans who, when they feel like they really want to go out and do it, you see, really want to lay it on thick, they go to a foreign restaurant. I don't know what there is to this why. Uh, you always feel when you're eating this stuff that you should like it because you're in such exotic surroundings and it's a very special occasion. And so you eat it. And I, I remember this moment with my mother. And so we get to this Indian restaurant. And they had a big menu all full of curries and one thing and another. I'm sitting there. I'm the, I'm the New Yorker now, you know. I would just like to know, just, just for purposes of uh, my own particular statistics, how many people are living in New York? How many Manhattanites are people who have, let's say there are, they are immigrants from uh, Iowa or from uh, Ohio or from Utah? Millions and millions. You have no idea what a, what a terrible lure this place is to people who live outside of this place. And, of course, once you're here, you're here, you know, and just like all of mankind, you feel vaguely dissatisfied with it. You just have to. No matter where you are, you're, you're going to be unhappy. It's, it, it goes all the way back to original sin, so please don't ask me to discuss that this morning. <laughs> Why we are unhappy. What is bugging uh, that, that, gets, that goes into the next semester, and I don't think the class is ready yet. And so, <laughs> so here comes my mother, loaded with original sin, out of the Middle West, you see. And I'm sitting here in the enfabled, in the enfabled East, in the golden rock of Manhattan, loaded with original sin, both of us, you see. My mother has seniority, however, in the original sin department. I'm just a neophyte working on it. So we go to this jazzy restaurant, and of course it's one of these places with $9 cover charge and the whole bit. And the Punjabi-type uh, waiter comes up with a turban and all of you know, it's going on. He has a long crease. You know, what is it, this long, wiggly knife that they carry in their belt and the whole business, you know. And it's all, 
he, he memsahib, memsahib. He's bowing from the waist back and forth. And you feel like any minute now the asp is going to show up and Daddy Warbucks and someone's going to get beheaded before this is over. And so we're going through this whole business, and he finally brings us a 47-dish curry. You know, what is it, this type of curry, you know, where everything, you little dishes of condiment all over, and you sprinkle egg yolks, and you sprinkle egg whites, and, and toasted almonds, and you sprinkle toasted coconut on things, and the, the steamed chicken, oh, we're really swinging there, and all the stuff is piled up. And my mother is, is keeping her own counsel. She is not saying anything. She is wearing her tourist wedgies, and she is not opening her trap. And, of course, I'm saying, oh, isn't this great, Ma? Hmm, boy. <coughs> Uh, yes, please. More water. Isn't this great? My hey, how about some water here? Have you ever had seventeen dish curry? You need nothing but water. You squeeze it down. Hey, ma, isn't this great? <clears throat> water, please, waiter. And you're eating away there, and the lights are dim, and you can hear Indian music being played from the loudspeaker. And suddenly, she says for the first time what was really on her mind. I knew something was bugging her. She says, "I don't like to put on the dog." <laughs> I don't like to put on the dog. I said, well, Ma, what do you mean, putting on the dog? You're here. It's New York. This is, you know, this is Manhattan, and I'm, I'm taking you out for a good time. Now, we're not putting on the dog. Silence. She continues to shovel away at the rice. I said, but, Ma, I mean, aren't you having a good time? She says, yeah. Yes, very good time. Very, very good time. And it's that, it's that kind of statement, it's the kind of look in the eye that says, yes, I am having a good time. <laughs> and slowly the walls are beginning to sink down into the, into the, into the thick carpets and the Punjabi, the, the Punjabi waiter looks exactly like the guy I've been buying my egg creams from in this little chromium plated joint at 7th and, and Broadway ever since I came to New York, you know. The same guy who, who sells me <laughs> and so, so it just, it's not working. And I said, well, Ma, look, look, Ma, look, why don't you relax? And there's a long pause, and she says, why don't you? I said, but I'm, yeah, I am relaxed. I'm relaxed. Look, all those people, see, look, this is New York. This is the way people in New York live. And all the while, people from New York were coming in and out of this restaurant. And she says, they're all putting on the dog. All of them putting on the dog. And I don't like to put on the dog. And ten minutes later, we're out in the cold, sweet air of 7th Avenue, bitingly. That air is sweeping over us. And I had nothing more to say. I began to slowly understand that all of mankind is, in one way or another, putting on the dog. Do any of you happen to know the meanings, the origins of that expression? Are there any people out there who are dog putter-honors? And so I'm beginning to see, you know, is it begins to unfold that there is a meaning to this master plan. I'm not going to be the one to put on the dog. There is a little meaning in it. And, and I'm getting into a cab not more than 25 minutes ago in a moment of lucidity. I'm getting, I mean, real lucidity. You know that kind of lucidity that you have that lasts for about 15 seconds? Just suddenly everything is clear and brilliant. The ideas are like crystal. They're carved out of, out of beautiful stone. And they're, they're, they're apparent. And then a minute later, you've forgotten what they were. And so I'm getting in the cab, and then I begin to realize that there is a master plan that I am being contacted by the infinite. I get into a cab, a little Studebaker, a 1959 Studebaker Lark that was all battered, pushed in, 
bumpy and kind of dirty, but nevertheless doubtfully struggling through life. A little yellow cab. I get in, and just as I get in, I see the name on the door of this cab company in red block letters inscribed on the yellow background. I had gotten into an aggressive cab. Believe it or not, I rode here to the station in a cab marked The Aggressive Cab Company. And as we approached the studio, it was beginning to soak in more and more and more the aggressiveness of this cab that I was in and the aggressiveness of the entire life that most of us are trying to lead. And I began to understand, too, that there are two types of people. There are the, there are the aggressive and the defensive. There are those who are always slowly running backwards. Always, they, they appear to be walking towards you. Have you ever known a guy who seems to be walking towards you, and as he walks towards you, you get the distinct impression that he's running backward as fast as he can? There are, there are the aggressive and there are the defensive. There are those who are up on barricades, waiting, waiting to see the whites of the... Oh, here comes another one. The whites of the... Don't fire. Don't fire yet. Give him a chance. Let's see whether he's friend or foe. Are you smoking more now, oh. but enjoying it less? Oh, there then it goes. you should change to camels. Have a camel cigarette. Have a real cigarette. Have a camel. Have a camel. Have a real cigarette. Have a camel cigarette. Today, camel is the best tasting cigarette of all. That's why you get complete satisfaction each and every time you light up. The best tobacco makes the... No, there, there's just... Uh, there's just nothing I can do about it. I can't, I can't help it. I can't go away from it. I cannot retreat from it. Uh, I, I just cannot escape from it. I've tried to, I've tried to, I've tried to. And I can't do it. Uh, what I'm trying to say here, I guess, is, in a sense, put in another way what one of the writers of letters to me uh, put in his letter a few days ago. He says, you know, Shepard, he said, uh, I can't help but feel that you look at life exactly the way I do, and that is you look at it as one big circus. Now, there's nothing wrong in that. Uh, for some reason or other, I have noticed that people who cannot look at life that way vaguely suspect that there is something very deeply wrong with people who do. And they also feel that there is something not quite trustworthy about them. And they're probably right. <laughs> they are probably right. I, I can't explain it any more than to say that that uh, there are a few people I have known. I, I know that, that this is one of my problems, that I have tried to become serious about things. Now, when I say serious, I say it in big capital letters. I have tried to become deeply serious about certain things that I have started out to do. And it has never really worked. I, I can't explain this, and I... I've tried to explain it to myself. I've tried to go down underneath the surface to find out why this is, 
what kind of defense mechanism this might be. <laughs> you know, I, I know all the psychological cliches about it. But still, and at the same time, it, it is an interesting phenomena. And occasionally you will see a guy who has this look in the eye of the one who, no matter what happens, can't help but see life as though he's sitting in some kind of a box seat. And he's looking out, and it's not a three-ring circus. It's about a ten-million-ring circus. And there are aerialists. There are guys being shot out of cannons. There are guys wearing clown suits, walking around with little, with little dogs. There are chicks uh, hanging by their teeth from long swinging silver chains from up near the top of the up near the top of the tent. There are guys selling popcorn. There are freaks. I mean, the whole business and the whole the whole shooting match, as my mother would say, is a gigantic circus, and we all have a ticket to it. And we are all at one and the same time both audience and participants. Because a circus is nothing, believe me, without, without an audience. A show is nothing without an audience. And this is not an old uh, actor or actress cliche, you know. Uh, there's, always, there's always some... One of, the, one of the things that makes me just turn inside out and, and turn up around the edges like old lettuce is when I hear some actor or actress being interviewed by one of the friendly, kindly, obsequious interviewers on which uh, certainly radio abounds. And the interviewer is always saying, well, uh, Miss, Miss Stanley, uh, we all know that you're a, a magnificent woman and a, and a magnificent actress and a fantastic artist and a much finer human being than any of the rest of us. Uh, Miss Stanley, uh, <clears throat> I'm so excited, Miss Stanley. Uh, Miss, Miss Stanley, uh, could you tell us how it feels to be such a fantastic, magnificent, magnanimous, uh, fully rounded, endowed actress. I mean, how does it feel like? And then there's a pause, and she says, Well, uh, I, I, first of all, I'd like to say that that uh, I, I do everything that I do for the wonderful audience. I, 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 I can say this, that my life would be nothing without all those wonderful little people. The little people who come in from the Bronx and from Queens and from the Middle West who come and make up that wonderful audience that every night I give my all for. I, I can say that my life would be nothing without the little people. And I want to thank, now that I've been given the opportunity, I would like to thank each and every one of you little people, all the little people out there to whom, well, I've dedicated my life. You have given us in the theater so much, all of you little people. Well, let me say this. If somehow you could blot out, if somehow magically you could imagine a circus, can you imagine walking into a dark, cavernous tent, a huge tent, a black tent, a black tent made of strange black material, flying black flags, and there's black sawdust leading to the tent. You walk in a black night to this tent, and you notice that there are lights, beautiful colored lights, red, green, yellow, orange lights, and you hear the sound of a calliope playing. This is the calliope, you see. You hear the sound, you hear the sound of great activity going on in this black tent. And as you walk along this black, black, long, twisting, black sawdust trail, you finally come 
to where the man is taking tickets. He looks at you with unseeing eyes. He just stands up there. Ah, ready to go, ready to go. Five minutes, the big show is about to begin. Five minutes about to begin. Let's go. Come one, come all. And you're the only one. You're the only one. And you walk past him. He doesn't even bother to sell you a ticket, nor does he bother to take a ticket. You just know that you don't have to pay. And you walk on through. And you slowly part those canvas doors... And inside is a circus. A circus. And it's in full swing. There's a beautiful girl wearing a pearl-colored bathing suit. She's swinging by her teeth from a silver trapeze. And there's a man standing up there way high atop a tightrope. And he's walking across very, very carefully, carrying a long silver balancing pole. And on each end is a small kinkajou bear, followed by a New York Times reporter. Each one, and they're all going across. And the, the, the clowns are dancing, and they're leading little dogs. People are being shot out of guns. Boom! And there's no audience. There is no audience. And somehow you know that you're not even an audience, that you are invisible and do not exist. Impossible. Impossible. It's, it can't be, you see. <laughs> it's a frightening thought, isn't it? It is a frightening thought that there that there is a show without an audience. And so you see the ludicrousness of this. It is impossible to create same. It's, it's just like creating an ocean without water. You cannot do it. Can you imagine an ocean or a desert without sand? just doesn't exist. does not. A hot day without heat. No. There is no show without those who, who come to see. And that's the way with this fantastic circus of life. Are, are, you, are, are you, as a performer in the circus of life, are you a tightrope walker? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's getting pretty close to home, eh, Fred? <laughs> yes. Step by step, you put your foot forward. Yes, another one. And down below, the band is going... You know, a long drum roll. And, and the, the announcer has said, And now, Charlie Murchison, daredevil beyond all daredevils, will attempt the death-defying feat that he alone has been able to accomplish. He is going to live the life of Charlie Murchison, a dangerous feat beyond the comprehension of all mankind. Will you please be quiet in the audience? Mr. Murchison's life is one of the most dangerous lives that have ever been lived on the face of this fantastic globe. And now, here he is, ladies and gentlemen, in the center ring, Charlie the Magnificent Murchison. Please be quiet and do not move while this dangerous act is being drawn to a conclusion. The drums start rolling, and you, Charlie Murchison, slowly begin to move one foot before the other on the vast tightrope of life. One foot before the other, and you're carrying your back. Is this the type of performer you are? Eh? Or, on the other hand, are you this type of performer? Are you this type of performer? And now, ladies and gentlemen... In the center ring, ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Murchison, 
the world-renowned clown who has entertained all the crowned heads of Europe, all the outstanding moguls of Madison Avenue, Charlie Murchison, clown extraordinary. And then you begin to go through your act, carrying a beach ball on your nose, bouncing up and down, hoping that they'll just laugh a little bit, just a little bit, and thereby get you off the hook again. And all your clothes are raggle-taggle, and your, your great painted face, a big tear has been painted near your left eye. And there you go, Charlie Murchison, clown extraordinary, out there working with the Indian clubs again. Oh, dream, ah, eternal. Oh, oh, what, or, or are you this kind of a performer? Stop it, Jim. Stop. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, 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 ho. Oh, yes, hold it. Maybe you are this sort of performer. There's suddenly heard throughout the big top of life the shrill, shocking note of a whistle. Attention, please! May I have your attention, please, ladies and gentlemen? Daredevil, Cannonball McAleer, James McAleer, Citizen Ordinary, will now attempt the death-defying, fantastic feat of being shot out of the mouth of an 88-millimeter cannon unaided by nets and unaccompanied by any artificial means whatsoever. Ladies and gentlemen, this particular feat has never before been attempted by any mortal human being in the gigantic circus of life. We respectfully command total silence while this death-defying feat is carried to, we hope, a successful conclusion. And then slowly the drums begin to roll. This time in a funeral dirge. And there you come out dressed in a black suit of tights, wearing a black football helmet and a black look. You stand there before the crowd and you bow graciously as Boris Karloff would bow. To the left, to the right, and to those in the center. With infinite dignity and with infinite sorrow, you are about to give your all. And then several men dressed as a firing squad, dressed in... Ceremonial fatigues, wearing ceremonial beards, lead you to a platform that leads to the breach of your gigantic cannon from which you will be shot. With a last wave, joie de vivre, you are inserted into the breach. And the drums begin to roll faster and faster. Brump, brump. Maybe this is the type of performer you are, eh? Uh-huh. In the vast circus of life. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I have known several. One-shot men. <laughs> and then, 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 how about this time? Maybe you are this type. This is the type who scurries through life, scuttles, scurries through life, hardly seen by the others. His voice is the only thing that is heard, and occasionally, when something is needed, he is there to provide that small service. You know, many people retreat from life by being always of service. That's all they are. They, they, they just want to be of service. Just, just let me, let me help. Let me help. That's all. Just, just don't hurt me, but let me help here. Let me, there, there, easy boy. Let me tie your shoes for you now. There, there. Let me smooth your. Hey, this is, this is another type. Scurrying through life. And you, you see them. You see in this vast circus of life. Actually, you don't see them because they kind of get in the way of the main view. But, but when you need them, they are very handy. They are wearing white hats. And they're wearing white coats, and they have big bags slung around their shoulders, or maybe a big box. And sometimes the bag contains popcorn, other times the box contains fresh hot dogs. Or maybe, maybe a small refrigerator full of beer. And this type is going around, ice cold, ice cold beer, here, yeah, ice cold beer, yeah, ice cold beer, ice cold, we got an ice cold, ice cold, how many, uh, two... Uh, hey, would you please pass this uh, down to the down the aisle? Uh, come on, uh, ice cold beer, ice cold beer, ice cold beer. Always opening beer bottles, always passing ice cold beer to others, always trying to make change on the run, and always trying to keep out of the line of vision. Ice cold beer. Oh, excuse me, ma'am. I, I say, I'm sorry, ma'am. Uh, excuse me. Get out of the way, will you, for crying out loud? Get out of my way. I'm trying to see. Can't you see? Ice cold beer. Ice cold. Are you this type of performer? Hmm? Hey? And then, then, then there's another type, of course. There's a, knife, a very definite type of performer in this vast circus of life who is not even inside the tent, you see. He's not even inside of the thing. He's standing out in front. He's wearing a checkered vest. He's wearing a derby hat. And he is shouting... Five minutes of big shows about to begin. Five minutes of big shows about to begin. Hey, everyone, come on, come all the big shows about to begin. Five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. Let's go in five minutes of big shows about to begin. Hey, hey, hey. Maybe you're this type of performer. This town abounds in them. It abounds in them. Did I tell you about the guy I met a couple of weeks ago who had the Castro account? Did I tell you about the guy I met about three or four months ago who worked in an agency? Get this one and put this right on the top of your head and think about it for a moment. I will not even mention the agency, nor will I even mention the people involved. But he worked in an agency that handled the Hungarian Freedom Account, believe it or not. And he told me that the day that the Hungarian Freedom Revolt came up, the reason that all the confusion resulted and ensued was that the account man on the Hungarian Freedom account was out of town on a three-day trip to the coast, and they couldn't contact him, and they didn't know what to say to the Hungarian freedom fighters as they were being shot between the eyes. And I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, well, we had the Hungarian account, the Hungarian Freedom account. I said, you mean the Hungarian Freedom account was handled by an agency and it had, and it had an account executive who handled it? 
So, of course. Can't you just see the president of the country getting on the phone, calling up his agency, and says, Now it hit the fan. It has hit the fan. Will you please get a hold of Murchison, the Hungarian Freedom Account executive? Hurry up for crying out loud. Either that or the agency man is red hot calling the president and he is saying, Look, now look, our business is public relations. How, how, much, how, much, how much trouble do you think we can get you out of? And so maybe you're one of those performers who is not even somehow involved in life and somehow thinks that life is one vast mercantile situation, one vast market upon which you can only capitalize if your voice is loud enough. Hurry, 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 hurry. <laughs> maybe you're this type of performer. More and more. And then, then maybe you're this sort. This is another sort entirely. There's another kind. There's another type. And this type usually, usually actually, is, uh, well, let's put it this way. Let's see this type of performer as she enters the ring. The big, the big announcer, the tall, thin man wearing the black cutaway coat and the white, the white high water pants carrying the whip, wearing the long silk hat, steps to the microphone and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, now the world-famous bareback rider, Madame Lazaza, the most beautiful world-famous bareback rider in all of circusdom, is now set to entertain us in the center ring. And then, the band goes, and out comes this big, beautiful, white Percheron horse with large, brown, liquid eyes. And there is this chick. There is this chick standing on one itsy-bitsy toe, wearing this itsy-bitsy little itsy-bitsy white sequin thing, waving at all the crowd. Hello there, hello. Hello, everybody, I'm cute. Oh, hello there, oh, my school, I'm so cute. Oh, you're so wonderful. And the giant Percheron, who is usually a male of one kind or another, quietly galumps around the middle of his big brown liquid eyes. Hello there. Oh, I'm so cute. Hello there. And the band is going. A pretty girl is like a melody. Hello there. And then finally, off the, off the ring and out, out into the night goes Miss Beautiful. <laughs> now, you know this performer. Of course you do. Of course you do. Of course. And then there's another type of performer in the vast circus of life. And this is a thin, angry type wearing black horn-rimmed glasses who sits in the darkness under the stands and counts the receipts and sits there with a comptometer machine at her side. And all the while, the band is playing. She hears it. She's part of it. But she never sees it at all. Ah, oh, vast circus of humanity. Oh, vast center ring of life. La, la, pu, pu, pi, la, tu, 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 ba, 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 ba. Ah, oh, la, ti, 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 
I know what I'm after. Huh. Oh, yes. Oh, there are other performers, of course. And some of the saddest ones of all. The last, the last clown has disappeared. The last bareback rider has gone into the shadows of the tinseled tent, the tinseled work and sleep tent. And then on the scene come these people in the rumpled clothes. On the scene come these these guys who are vaguely shaggy and these women who are very lumpy, carrying pails and mops. And you see them moving around in the darkness, sweeping up. And you know what they're sweeping up? Sweeping up, hosing it down, working away out there in the darkness. Just working their lives away, sweeping up the mess that everybody else has left behind. Sweeping, grumbling, and and I would I would venture to say that this is probably the greatest percentage of all. This is the greatest number of all the performers, the sweepers up, who never they're never even awake when the show is going on. They don't come to work till three o'clock in the morning. Philosophically speaking, the show has long since passed. When they pack their simple lunches, their sad, simple peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and apples, and their five-cent pies, their pints of, of half-cold instant coffee, and they pack it all into their lunchbox and they go off to sweep up, to sweep up, just to sweep up. And these people begin very early in life, you know. In fact, every one of the performers begin early in life. The little one standing on her toes on top of that perch around, <laughs> was doing that at the age of two and being encouraged. Isn't she cute? <laughs> and all the while she's galloping around the center ring in the living room for whatever frustration she wants to work out. <laughs> and all the while, the little kid who is two years old is already beginning to retreat to the spot directly behind the potted palm where he is preparing to sell his popcorn. <laughs> I hope somebody needs a popcorn there, or maybe a sandwich. I'll go get it for them, and they won't, they won't be mad at me then. I'll, 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 get some, I'll get some candy for them. I'll, I'll make things happier. And all the while, some little kid is preparing to be shot from a gun. As he does his only little thing that he can do, and that is stand on one foot on the window ledge, three stories above the street. Hey, get him off! What are you? What's the matter with you for crying out loud, Donald? How many times have we told you to stay off that window ledge? Donald is just preparing to stand on the window ledge all of his life. Donald is prepared to be a one-shot man. But boy, what a shot. That's all Donald is preparing for. And, and then, of course, uh, you know, as you slowly grow into your role, the, 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 the externals begin to be fused one into the other until you can hardly tell the girl standing on the bareback horse from the girl down below there who, who tries to look like the girl standing on the bareback horse but who nevertheless is chained eternally to her mental comptometer machine and is eternally counting the eternal tickets no matter how she dresses. 
And then, of course, there are three or four or five who inevitably must come out in their raggle-taggle clothes, bouncing a beach ball on their nose even at the age of two. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, head, 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 The big circus of our life is about to begin. The big circus of life is about to begin. The biggest circus in the history of all the world, the world, the world. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. For just one dollar, one dollar, one dollar, one dollar, one dollar, you'll see the biggest circus, the biggest prize circus, the biggest wonderful, wonderful surprise circus of all, of all, of all, of all, and you're part of it, sir. Come on, come on, come on, one. Um, how many did you say? Um, one, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. We'll be back in just 15 minutes. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. What do you hear in the best of circles? Shave for all around. People all have found. The pleasure doesn't fade. After one or two, you get that first beer pleasure each beer through. Now that's why you hear in the best of circles. Shave for all around. Schaefer invites you to watch the Parade of American History at Freedomland USA. Along with the recreations of great events of our past, Schaefer has been invited to show you as it's brewing in 1842 and as it is today. Come out and see that original Schaefer Brewery, the home site of America's oldest lager beer. And while you're there, pick up an entry blank for the Schaefer My Best Gal Contest. It's exciting, easy to enter, and valuable prizes can be yours. This is WOR AM and FM New York, owned and operated by RKO General. See the four-star motion picture Song Without End, together with the magnificent stage show, now at Radio City Music Hall, Song Without End. At the WOR time signal, one o'clock. James McCarthy reporting. For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news. A ragtag army made up mostly of volunteers from all walks of life began laying siege on the Congo's Kasai province in a move to liberate the valuable mining state from the central Congo government forces and install Albert Kalonji as its provisional head just a short while ago. Kalonji is the self-styled president of the mineral-rich Kasai area who was forced to flee his government seat by forces of Congolese Premier Patrice Lumumba some time ago. At the time, Lumumba's forces invaded Kasai and took control over much of the area. Kalonji charged that the Congo Premier's troops were being led by Czechoslovakian military advisors and were using communist arms and munitions. This was later confirmed by a communist leader in Leopoldville, who told reporters that the Reds were more involved than most people thought, adding, you don't think they, the Congolese, could do this by themselves, do you? The volunteer force of Kalanji, estimated at anywhere from 250 to 500 men, crossed the river Lebilash from another breakaway state, Katanga, and are headed for Laputa in central Kasai. Katanga's premier, Moshi Chambe, is said to have armed the Kalanji rebels and offered military advisors in the battle, but this has not been confirmed. More news in a moment. Say, baseball fans, do you have an inquisitive youngster who has the knack of asking just the baseball question that stumps you? Or do you yourself sometimes wonder about a baseball question or two? If so, here's big news about an exciting new book. It's the Mutual Baseball Annual, and it's baseball's biggest $1 value. Edited by Van Patrick, the Mutual Baseball Annual is like 16 Major League yearbooks rolled into one. Over 200 action photos plus biographical sketches and pictures of almost 200 stars. 
You get a sweeping view of the 1960 baseball season, as well as the home schedules and rosters of all teams. And an extra bonus, an all-time record section. So if you want the answers to baseball questions, get the Mutual Baseball Annual. Just send $1 to Baseball, Mutual Network, New York 18. A $2 value for only a dollar. Order your copy today. That's $1 to Baseball, Mutual Network, New York 18. Well, America, it appears as though Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev will be alone in his publicity-seeking appearance at the U.N. General Assembly this month as diplomatic observers claim the West's leaders have adopted a stay-away policy. The observers said the first round of consultations between President Eisenhower, French President de Gaulle, and Britain's Prime Minister Macmillan favored this policy, but they have left the door open for possible new developments and won't commit themselves to the meeting until sometime next week. The highway death toll is reaching staggering proportions today as Americans try to race the Grim Reaper on the nation's roads. Paul Jones, Information Director for the National Safety Council, gives us the details. 61 lives already have been lost on the highway in accidents since the Labor Day weekend holiday began last evening. While this is running slightly behind the Labor Day toll last year, it is catching up at such a rapid pace that every motorist should double his care and try to prevent every possible accident. The 30 hours, the first 30 hours of the holiday period have been proved to be the most dangerous. Drive accordingly, please. The first Russian freighter to take grain and cotton from the Black Sea to Cuba has left Odessa for Havana, where it will exchange its cargo for Castro sugar. Six red oil tankers are also in this convoy, two empty Again, for Castro Sugar.